All right. Good morning, everybody. We're going to study from the book of Acts. We covered part of this, and there are other material that we want to talk about that's related to this. So we'll begin with prayer, and I'll take us to where we were the last time that we were in Sunday school. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness that we can gather and encourage one another and share the gospel and search the scriptures and grow in grace and understanding of what you've said and what you've done. Help us to be kind and loving and yet always wanting to know the truth and to learn and grow. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this morning, we're recording there. This morning, what we have is bold reasoning in public forums. I want to give a little time at the end so we can cover some of the bigger themes that began early in Luke and consummated at the end of Acts and are developed throughout. If you're interested in the timeline, I had some of those are printed there that Christy did. If you weren't here the time we got snowed out. So Ephesus is an important place. And so here, we covered this already, but I'll do a review. Paul, this is about Paul. He entered a synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This is something that we've covered, and I have to keep moving forward. It's pretty easy with a software to search out every time the word kingdom is used in Luke and Acts, the two. I've done that. It's very interesting. And so that is a very important idea. And at some point, it would be good to come around and see where that ends up. But you can take some of these right off the printout and look them up. It begins in Acts and ends at, excuse me, in Acts 1, 1 through 8, and then goes all the way to uh, 28, 31. But the idea is also in the beginning of Luke. But let's keep moving here or we won't get very far. He entered a synagogue. I pointed this out. No synagogue has been identified yet at Ephesus, although a basilica-like building north of the gymnasium has been suggested by some as a possible location. Whatever the location was, commonly the point of the synagogue was where people had the scroll, the scrolls, the scriptures, they discussed scripture. And so when you reason from the scripture, the point is, what did God say, and what does it have to do with the claims that these Christians are making? Paul, Peter, and the others, the preachers. What, the, what claim did they make? The primary claim made by every person whose message is recorded in the book of Acts is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The resurrection is found every single time. And that is the most powerful proof of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he did appear 
to many witnesses, and it, that all of this was predicted in the Old Testament, and therefore repent and believe the gospel. That's the basic. Now, notice here this one. I think I may have shown you this. And he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading about the kingdom of God. And the caption I have here, education was highly prized in the ancient Roman world. The building shown above was used for training students in the art of rhetoric. Uh, This was from uh, Alexandria. Why is that important? Alexandrian Judaism of the type that Apollos demonstrated with his rhetoric and his brilliance was very much influential in the ancient world. And the Septuagint, which we're not claiming that this, there's a, there were some myths that developed in the intertestamental time about 70 or 72 different scholars went to their own cubicle. This is the Epistle of Aristeus. Was that it, Aaron? We're not saying that that's a true um, thing that happened. They all went and got their own translation, and they came and compared, oh, they're all the same, so it's a miracle. That's not true. Nobody claimed that. But Jesus and his apostles are citing, sometimes directly from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that was a product of Alexandrian education that was a brilliant version of the Greek language that the Jews cited. So whatever the case, education was highly valued. Rhetoric was considered important, although you didn't have to be eloquent to be true. And what we're saying is that the facts of the gospel are grounded in Scripture which is grounded in God's acts in in history. The creation of the entire universe out of nothing. The reality of who Jesus is, what he did, the virgin birth, and so on, that are laid out in the scriptures. And education is important. So the claim that we see and this is going back to Acts 17 as a review, is that wherever Paul and the other apostles went, it said he went three Sabbaths and reasoned with them from the scriptures. Reason is an important thing. I have that here. I searched every time that that's used uh, in the New Testament. It's used ten times in Acts, three times elsewhere. Dia legomai, it's a word that could be translated argued, reasoned. It's in Acts 17.2, Acts 17.17, Acts 18.4, The verse that we just looked at, Acts 19.8, 19.9, Acts 20, Acts twice, Acts 24, and so on. It's also used in Hebrews. Here's the point, and I I hope we can get this. Don't go into the arena of public debate with a weak, invalid argument because somebody as smart or smarter than you will take that as a stick to beat you with. 
okay? Because the truth is going to hold everyone into account. So somebody can say, I know there is no God. But they can't know that because to have uh, actual proof of a universal negative, you'd have to be God and be omniscient. So whoever says, I know there's no God, well, there must be one. Whoever said that has to be a God to be omniscient. And they're arguing against all the evidence. I, I debated publicly a man who claimed that you can't really know what the Bible says, the postmodern idea. But how do you prove that you can't know because you're saying, I know that you can't know? How do you know that you can't know? Well, you know something. Yeah. And so it's just an absurd debate. The Bible is not ashamed to lay every claim out there. And we'll be held accountable. So that's the point of, of reasoning. Now, that was very important in synagogues and important in Athens and in Ephesus. Go into the arena of public debate. It's, it's not a sin to say you don't know. And before we get through 1 Corinthians, there'll be a bunch of things I know are likely to be confusing. And there's questions they ask. We don't know what the questions were. I don't know. Why did Paul think that it was so uh, near return of Christ that maybe you're better off not getting married? That's in First Corinthians 7. I don't know. He just All we know is that they lived with the expectation that Christ could return at any time. So if somebody says they do know what no one can know, don't listen to them. Go ahead. I, I can't remember who said this, but there was uh, something to the effect Hold on of- here. There you go. Is it on? Uh, there was something to the effect of there are no atheists. And the argument was that you can take in somebody who claims to be an atheist and turn them to agnostic like that, like you just said. Yeah, they'll back right down and say, well, anybody who claims to know, there's something wrong with them. To, to not know, okay, but to say you know is absurd. Because if to know that there's no God, you have to be God. So let's keep moving here so we cover some ground. And so we did verse 8. Now we want to get to verse 9. Acts 19 and verse 9. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now this would be starting in the synagogue, they have scriptures, they have a starting point proving that the scriptures were fulfilled, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah and so forth. Now out into a broader arena of public debate. What we want to see here is that every time this happens, it doesn't mean the message changes. The truth of the gospel will never be popular with the masses. It never has been. Now, the phrase here, the way, uh, is used in Acts a few times for Christians. And it's not a complicated word in the Greek, ha-hadas, the road. But they were claiming 
that in order to be rescued from judgment and to know God and to have forgiveness of sins, one had to believe in Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, how he was raised from the dead. He ascended bodily into heaven. Psalm 110, verse 1 is fulfilled. He's reigning at the right hand of God. And when he comes, there's going to be salvation and judgment. There is wrath to come. And any view of history that doesn't have future judgment is deficient. So those are the main claims there. I'm going to turn that down just a bit. And then uh, those claims were made, albeit in different terms, in Athens, in the public forums, and in synagogues. We don't change the claims of the gospel based on what we think people want to hear. Okay? And that is what we must learn from this. This doesn't mean that you have to be a brilliant scholar to be used by God. It means that we don't want to diminish the claims hoping that people will like us or make claims that can't be defended biblically. And what happens with any cult, by the way, the way international is not even Christian, it's a cult. I don't know if it still exists. It says the way, but here it means Christians. There isn't anything in the Bible somebody can't turn into something wrong, okay? So here's the deal. If the only way someone could come to know what we're claiming is to believe some very, very complicated, strange idea that you can only get from them, and if you put it out into the arena of public debate, it'll get knocked to pieces. There's something wrong. Okay, someone called and left a message, and I couldn't quite hear what they were making out. It was left on a little voicemail, and Christy forwarded it to me, and I decided to call the guy. Well, he starts telling me this stuff. Just boom, 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 boom. Do you know? And he was talking about eclipses and New York City, and it has to happen at a certain date at a certain time. And then I looked into this, and I found out, you know, it's just boom, like a rapid-fire machine gun. I'm going, what, what, what? I said, wait, stop. I am not going to believe you. And why not? Because this is contrived. Ask yourself this. If you carefully studied the scriptures and looked at the claims that are made in the Bible, would you come to the conclusion that you better study eclipses and find out when a certain one's going to happen in New York City? And when he said that, I said, no, stop it. I said, are you one of these, I don't think the Armstrong movement was it the British Israelites? Who was the, there was a cult that eventually the followers of it, the, the sun changed it and, and got rid of it. There was a worldwide church of something that believed that the 10 lost tribes came from England. Armstrongism. Yes, and I, I, I looked that up. I said, are you one of these Armstrong followers? There aren't many left. 
No, no, you got to listen. Dear saints, the facts are laid out, and if you go into the realm of a public debate, which cults don't do, they try to... Could you prove Mormonism in the realm of public debate? No, because it doesn't follow. Jesus is not the half-brother of Satan, and there's no promise that we're going to have our own planet or however that works. And so the argument goes to, yeah, but we're nice people. Or we, we have a little ties of, I don't know if they still, do they still have the white shirts and little ties and they go around? You can't prove anything by who's a nice person. So the gospel will, is based on fact that's both biblical, and God cannot lie, and reasonable in what has happened in history and what we observe in the real world only reinforces it. And so therefore, when we talk about equipping the saints and uh, explaining the scriptures, equipping the saints, and so on, exalting the Savior, that was, uh, I think it's our congregational meeting that was brought up. I like that. We're equipping people by God's grace to go into the arena of public debate, whether it's a workplace, on the street, um, anywhere. Be, re- be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. My hope isn't that I'm part of the Way International. My hope isn't that somebody will join the cult I'm in and uh, then whatever it is that they do. Our hope is in forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and the promise that Jesus Christ cannot lie, and he's coming again. Yes, Brian. In the pre-Bible study Bible study, we, uh, I had read this earlier in the week, and I, I brought it up, Bob, this morning, and that's a Jeremiah 17.5. I think it's appropriate here. And it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like uh, brush in the desert. So if you're not rooted, then you're just tumbling like tumbleweed. Uh, You're just blowing around and uh, you have like no anchor. And uh, that's what happens uh, in the example like you were just giving is people latch on to uh, any popular thing yeah. that's isn't out there. It, isn't it verse 5? Doesn't it say, Blessed is the person who trusts in Yahweh? Is it either before that or after that? Yeah, blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh. Yeah, so here's the simple, real simple, Old Testament. Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man, in a generic sense, human being, who trusts in God. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. The world religions are all saying the same thing. Trust us. Do works. We're the pious ones. That's, that's the simple thing. Now, how can you be blessed? By trusting in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, I think, verse 3, we are blessed if we're trusting in Christ. We've escaped judgment and our sins are forgiven. So that's, that's a good reading. So deal, Legomai, 10 times, starting in X, 
17.2, 13 total times in the New Testament. So let's, let's go to the next slide. Let's see, what do we have here? The way, reasoning. Now let's get to some slides of the ancient world to show that that's what happened in Asia Minor. Here is a place in Ephesus. By the way, Paul ends up spending a couple of years there in Ephesus. One possible location, I'll read you the caption I have here, for the lecture hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus is the area in front of the Celsus Library. An inscription mentions an auditorium located there before the library was built. Parts of a circular platform from an earlier Hellenistic structure were found when the library was excavated for reconstruction. It is also of interest, it says on this caption from BiblePlaces.com, that the small courtyard created by the Celsus Library and the adjoining gates of Mosaeus um, uh, and Mithridus appear to have been used for similar purposes in the later period with the steps in front of the library providing seating for an audience. So wherever there is a place where public debate, discussion, the gospel belongs there. We don't ask people to take a blind leap of faith. The blind leap is a bad idea because God is calling us to preach the truth. And I would say this, if we can't get the facts about the person and work of Christ, the doctrine of God, the triune God of the Bible, if we can't get that right, there's no use telling people, you should join us, you'll have a better life. You should join us and we know how to obtain money by giving yours away. We'll, we know how to manipulate the spirits in the world of the spirits, which are real, but the world of the spirit is not a good place to go. We want to go to the throne of grace, who has all power over all principalities and power, and go to God. So those are not, those are just confusing. Psychological gospel is just confusing. And some people say, well, you can't believe in God because you have an image in your mind of what God is like because you had bad parents and your image. I've heard that material. There, there, these things float around. No. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We would have no image of God had God not chosen to reveal himself. We would just see that the universe is orderly, that there's such a thing as entropy, it's going to die of heat death, there must be a creator. But Jesus Christ came and, according to John 1, explained, uh, laid it out there in Luke Acts. It's just amazing. So, yes, we need to be those who understand, learn, and some have said, well, do you have to be an intellectual? We don't have to be anything. We have to be believers. And God will give different gifts to different people and to serve the body of Christ, to share about Christ. But we don't want to be anti-scholastic 
and tell people, leave, check your mind at the door, come on in, we'll tell you what to believe. Challenge, look at it, give evidence, because that is what will hold people in account. Um, Jesus said that, uh, that debate, Eric mentions this, the debate with Doug Padgett, the emergent guy, the one verse that I put up on a slide was, because they were saying, you know, the red letter Christians, the red letter Christians, like some of the red letters, the ones that say social gospel, make the world a better place to live in. Well, wait a second. Jesus himself said that his word would be your judge at the last day. If you reject Christ, he has spoken, but the judge isn't based on, they said there is no judgment. The whole world's evolving into paradise on earth without judgment. But Jesus said there would be judgment, and the basis of it would be the word that spoke to you. There's no answer. So that's why we included that in that slide. There's no answer to that. So if you can't know what Jesus said, or you get a general idea to be good, but we can't define what good is, look around and see what God's doing and join it. Well, how do we know what to join? Some people see what they think God's doing and they declare a jihad. So if you can't know what God said, you can't know who he is, and you don't have the correct Christ, what you see will be, let's go kill all the Christians and God will be happy with us. We need to know the whole counsel of God. So that's the point. That's a good place to go for Teach the word of God wherever they'll hear. If they don't like it, they'll kick you out. But keep preaching the word of God. Here's another place. This is a theater in Ephesus. Some who have visited Israel, there's different places that have been excavated. Go anywhere with it. But, I, but we're, it would be crazy to send someone out to make disciples after a cult we need to talk about Christ. And if you ask a preacher, will you preach Christ? Who is Christ? Christ consciousness, Hare Krishna. I'm dating myself. They used to be in the airports. What is, you're, if you remember that, you're old. That was before the airports went on lockdown. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Christ consciousness. If we can't define the personal work of Christ, we don't even have a starting point. So that's the point. Now let's get to uh, more about public debate. This here was in Athens where the brilliant people came to debate. They had an unknown God. This is a review, Acts 17, 17, and 18. <clears throat> and so he was reasoning in a synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace, that's the Agora, by the way, every day with those who happen to be present. And Luke narrates this. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer, notice that, of strange deities. Why did they say that? I wonder if Paul went to the school of the seeker-sensitive church to find out what they wanted to hear before he went there. No, he didn't do that. 
He preached the same thing that Peter did on the day of Pentecost. And that Stephen did at the occasion of his martyrdom. That Peter did after he saw the vision, he didn't want to go preach to God-fearing Gentiles. They all preached the same thing. Jesus was raised from the dead. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So here's that same word, deal, legomai, reasoning, in Athens. That doesn't mean you don't use different terminology, but in the end, you have to preach it. When I debated with a postmodern guy, I showed the absurdity of postmodernity, showed that there is coming judgment, and that there will, that Jesus' words mean what they say, and he was just going around in circles. I was shocked, frankly, because um, I said, well, you may think there are no categories, but when you walk out, you go through the door, not the wall. So when it's his turn to reply, he said, well, radio waves go through walls, and then he went on to two more topics. This, then he went to somewhere else, then to somewhere else. So he laid all these things out. And so I, re- I didn't expect that, so I went to whatever he said. On the way out, one of the followers of, of the emergence said, well, maybe there are square circles. But see, the fact is that radio waves aren't human beings. So the law of non-contradiction says that A is not non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. But he's talking about a whole different thing. Now, if he's right about the radio waves not obeying the laws of non-contradiction, you couldn't tune in your radio. Okay, so you'd try to turn to the Twins game and you might get uh, smash rock heavy metal music or something like whatever. You don't know. I'm trying to get KTS. No, I get this. I try to get this. No, you got to be able to turn into a station. The law of non-contradiction is factual and it's the way we think. So he switched topics and away we go. Paul just laid out the truth. Now I'm going to cite Dr. Schnabel uh, who has a good commentary here. He says, looking south across the Agora, Paul would have seen a large number of temples with their cult images and altars dedicated to the worship of Zeus, Stoa, temple altar, Athena, temple, Aphrodite, temple, Apollo, temple, Ares, temple, Hephaestus, temple. There's all these temples. Mother of the gods had a temple. Nike, we know that word. That's the god god of victory. So that's where they got the term for the gym shoes. Nike, they had a stoa basilios, 12 gods, altar, mystery religions. Uh, The emperor Augustus, he had a place there. Do you think Augustus is going to save you? Artemis, which is Ephesus. Well, the point is, there were gods and goddesses, and here he goes and preaches the one true God who created all things. There will be a judgment, and he proved who he is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So 
Some people, and I found the references to this in my research, there was a, a church growth movement based in Fuller Seminary that claimed that Paul failed in Athens and gave up using reason and went to something else. Um, I have the citations for that in some research I did when I was in seminary. That is not what Luke is telling us. And some of the commentaries I have on Luke point out that that claim was made, but it's just utterly discredited. Luke didn't tell us that Paul failed in Athens. But they're saying that if you don't gain enough followers and create a people movement, that's a failure. But the fact is, the way that they're called, the way hahadas means, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Paul did not fail, and Luke didn't tell us that he did. Now, a few more proofs that these are real places. Uh, here we have the Acropolis. The Stoa is, is there, and you probably can't see the, the writing. The Acropolis is up on the top right there. But these are real places. If you go get the Book of Mormon, you can't visit any of those places because they don't exist. Only in the minds of the cultist do they exist. What we have to preach will stand up to the test. What if the people who say Paul failed at Athens so quit preaching on Christ and the resurrection, tell people what they want to hear, or whatever that is they claim? We're not saying, I don't see that the Bible says that however many people are following a certain group proves that it's right. If that were the case, then paganism, mother, mother goddess, Buddhism, or even Islam. Yeah, Islam, or how about China? Is, how many people live? And they've outlawed all religion. Ultimate, but they can't stomp out the truth. The fact is, the, yes, uh, Laverne over here. And by the way, keep, be thinking about, I want to give at least 15 minutes to discussing what is the Great Commission, and I want to follow up on a couple of questions that came out, came from my sermon last time. Yes, Laverne. I thought that the controversy over his uh, Paul's uh, success at Athens was the fact that when he had, sure, he preached Christ crucified, I mean, uh, the resurrection to the people when he talked individually, but when he had his big opportunity at the Ericopolis, is that to speak at the Agora, to speak to people who had come to hear and they were gathered and ready in an audience, that's when his speech was devoid of the name Christ and him crucified and the resurrection. And then the fact that no church was formed after he left, those are probably the reasons that those that opinion came up. And then also on top of that, okay. when he left, he said, I'm not coming. The next place he went to, he said, I will not preach fancy words because that's what he did. He appealed to the intellect of the people there. Uh, he said, I'm not going to okay. do that anymore. I'm going to pe- preach Christ and him crucified. No more flowery stories, no more history, no more all that. Uh, okay. Um, I, I have to push back very strongly against that. 
When I was in seminary, I had a, had, um, a friend who was going to Fuller who sent me a bunch of material from a guy by the name of Paul Hebert, and there was another guy by the name of Winter, I think, and then there was C. Peter Wagner, who made that claim. But that's the only person's opinion that matters is Luke's. Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, he, and, and you did mention things that Luke said. Luke does not portray Paul's speech at Athens. If someone wants to turn to Acts 17, where is that here? 1718. I've covered this before. The point is, this shows that the gospel doesn't change wherever it goes. That a thriving church ended up there or not is not the test of the value of the preaching. Okay? And the fact is that God is glorified when the truth is preached whether people believe it or they reject it. And where Paul went was partly through all through God's providence. On occasion, there were supernatural guidance. There was the Macedonian vision, things like that. But none of this is portrayed by Luke as a failure. I have material both in commentaries on 1 Corinthians and also on Acts, that I think that that whole idea, I I appreciate that you're willing to share it. Many people believe that. But if he was going to give up this deal, legomai, reasoning, then why do we have it again? The first mention is Acts 17.2, Acts 17.17, Acts 18.4, Acts 18.19, Acts 19.8, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. We've got to talk about that. Here, Acts 19.9, that's what we're looking at. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So this approach of giving reason to believe the truth about Christ and the gospel continues on throughout Acts. It's again in 27, which is a different context, probably has a different meaning there. Actually, Acts 29, he went so long that somebody fell asleep and fell from the third story. And I was looking that one up. That's really interesting, Acts 29. Every long-winded preacher loved that verse. So the guy falls down. Boom. They pray for him. He comes back to life. But then it says he kept on teaching. So, well, maybe I should cut this shorter. But so that's the uh, uh, joy. I'm, I just, was Laverne saying that the teaching was that when he was in the big place, when he was in the Areopagus, that he didn't preach Christ? He, he did. Some have reasoned that because it said most of them were um, rejected the message, they called him a babbler, a few believed, some said, we'll hear you later, 
But what happened was a couple of key people, if you read in Acts 17, did believe. 32 through 34. Go ahead and read it, please. And having heard of a resurrection out from among the dead, some began to mock. But others said, we will hear you concerning this again. And this is in the Areopagus. So he had spoke about Jesus being risen from the dead. Um, Under these circumstances, Paul went out from their midst. But certain men, having clung to him, believed, among whom was Dionysus, one of the judges of the court of Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Yeah, so... So that's not a failure as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) No, if a few people believe, that's the... Whether they meet in a home or in a a former synagogue or in a synagogue or wherever they meet, in Philippi, there was not even a major synagogue, so they were by a river. Paul found some people praying. When we get into 1 Corinthians, notice Chloe's people sent... He spent a year and a half in Corinth sent a message that there's divisions. A few key people will keep the gospel going. Now, what I had thought when I first read the passage you read there, some said, oh, we'll hear you later. I took that as dismissive. But as a matter of fact, the context doesn't say it's dismissive. They were, if they'd never heard of a resurrection from the dead, Paul's there. They're, they're considering it. The first time I heard the gospel, I was angry. And I was, and so was Saul of Tarsus. And I later became a Christian because God uh, has his plans. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm comparing this to, like, take our uh, evangelical team here. Okay, if they go out continuously once or twice a week and they boldly proclaim the name of God, which, by the way, didn't Paul have a vision just prior to this where God told him to boldly, you know, do not be afraid, Paul, go and boldly proclaim. Okay, so now we have the evangelical team. They're out there proclaiming the word of God. They're witnessing to people. If, if, that, even, if, if that witnessing team, if they don't see on-site conversions, okay? They could be planting a seed. We don't know what happens to these people down the road. Are they failures? No. No. No, no. and um, there's so much pressure to not lay the truth of Christ out there because um, here's a thought that I have because I, a lot of times we hear we want something inspirational. I'm, I'm going to hear next. The gospel, until you're converted, it doesn't inspire you. It makes you mad. Okay. Inspirational would be Robert Schuller. Well, I'm dating myself again. Robert Schuller. Uh, Joel Olstein. Well, so there's a lot of things that inspire people, but the fact is the, the, fact, the, the idea that we're so wicked and lost that God sent the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to suffer and shed his blood to avert God's wrath against sin, it offends everybody. The proof is that God raised him from the dead. It doesn't inspire, it offends. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. So inspiration comes to believers when they hear the truth taught. 
Go ahead. Yeah, I'm not sure if I have the right citation. You were mentioning Acts 17, so I just looked that up. And, uh, but that was, uh, uh, he, Paul was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, and this, I think you had this up on the screen, what, what would this idler bab, idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. And then Luke adds, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So That's what they didn't like. Yeah. And, and so then, there's no plan B beyond Jesus no, and the resurrection. And then, and then what I was thinking of is, you know, Jesus Christ, when he said, this is in uh, Matthew 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. We've all heard this. Enter through the narrow gate. Uh, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are just a very few enter through no no wait a minute it says and there are many many who enter through it in other words many would be most people for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it so we can preach the gospel and we are called to do that Jesus told us that he has overcome the world all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So we preach Christ, and that's what Paul did. But we don't judge the success by how many people. Sometimes, sometimes it comes later. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, the, God is honored and glorified when we tell people the truth and warn them. Um, Carly. And then, what, now be thinking about, there's two things I need to cover. I've got to leave time for this. I mentioned the Great Commission, and I did a lot of study on Acts 1, 1 through 8 this last week, and then there was a follow-up about milk and solid food. I want to answer that, too. Go ahead, uh, Laverne. What Laverne was speaking about is the actual speech, not what he did while he was in the area, because I mentioned that earlier. I said he did preach about Christ while he was in the area, but when he had the opportunity at Mars Hill to stand there with the congregation of people who had come to hear him, he did not. And read it yourself. Starts on verse 22 through the end. What he, about verse 31? 31. Okay, let's read verse 31. 30-31. Um, okay, show me the name Christ. Where is it? Because I said, by Christ. means of a man whom he appointed, furnishing a guarantee to all that he raised him from among those who are dead. Yeah, the the. the well, the, I'm just saying, Christ in Him crucified, because He, in His own words, said, when He left there, He said, "From now on, I will preach Christ and Him crucified." I mean, I think maybe we don't need to argue the point, but it's just that that's His words. So that's all I'm saying. That's yeah. What he said. Uh, Luke is the one who's telling us the significance of that. And he did preach uh, Christ. I don't. Uh, everybody, look look up whatever resources you want to, and let, we can talk about that. I do believe that Luke is telling us that it was good that he preached as he did in Athens. Go ahead. Um, one element with that, Laverne, is that the resurrection is always the summary of all of Christ's work. Right. That's so a good point. Luke isn't recording every single thing that Paul said. But because he records that the resurrection was preached, implied as all of the other works, it's the capstone. Uh, one of the passages I would point to is in 1 Peter 3, where Peter says, Baptism now saves you, 
But then he is quick to say it's not through the removal of water or removal of dirt from the flesh by water, but to an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, why does Peter only mention the resurrection? Doesn't he believe in the atonement of Christ, the perfect life of Christ? Well, no, he uses the resurrection as a synecdoche. It's the, it's the summary of all that Christ did. If he was raised, he was certainly crucified. Right. And so what Bob is pointing out is in Luke's inspiration, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to record the capstone of what Paul said. If he mentioned the resurrection, he certainly mentioned everything else. That would be implied. Yeah, let me, I, I mentioned this one time, reading through Luke-Acts, the long speeches like in Acts 13 and 14, or Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost, um, elsewhere, Stephen's martyrdom, because there's only so much room on the, where they were writing, the implication is the longer ones tell us the details, the shorter ones imply that there was much more because it's not all right there. Now, being true to, we got to deal with the Great Commission, and someone also asked me about Peter. Uh, actually, did you look up that passage? Someone said, I was preaching on milk versus follow, uh, and solid food, claiming that they're the same thing, the Word of God. Someone asked about the passage in Peter and someone else about the passage in Hebrews. Do you have that there? Yeah, yeah, I did. Go ahead and look it up. Well, yeah, read it. Go ahead and read just, it to us. Uh, yeah, it's just First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. No, think about that. I mean, it's like as if we have to get out a pencil and sharpen our pencil and start checking boxes every day. Did I, did I um, have malice today? Did I have deceit today? Did I have hypocrisy today? Uh-oh, I might have said something evil. But check this out. I mean, people think the Bible is all about doing, checking off your boxes. If you do enough of the do's and don't do enough of the don'ts, then you're okay, right? No, well, wait a minute. As newborn babes crave the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, um, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. It, it's so amazing to me that in my life growing up in the church, they always say, oh, well, we start with milk and then we go on to solid food as if there's different teaching. Start simple and then work big. Well, what is the big? I mean, if, if the pure milk of the word is it, according to this verse, what's the solid food? That's the question, I think, and that came out in your sermon, is the milk versus the solid food. There's no graduating to solid food, as if I'm going to drink milk and then go to a cheeseburger or a Philly okay. cheesesteak. Well, let me, that's a good point, and if you read the context, you end up with the same thing. That's an analogy, by the way. Peter wasn't saying everybody that he addressed was a newborn Christian, like within the last week. It's an analogy. Like newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, meaning the word of God is the nourishment that we need no matter how long we've been Christian. And I believe and firmly, I believe this is, is biblical. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. And there's passages that we've used 
Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and elsewhere, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. Men spoke by the Spirit. The Word of God comes to us, inspired by the Spirit. Look at how many uh, millennia that the Bible was written, from Genesis to Revelation. It's amazing. You couldn't do that. There's no other religious writing that's even close to that. The whole counsel of God will take us forever to understand, but it all points to the truth. So that's an analogy. So when I was misled myself, I thought salvation through Christ crucified was an interesting starting point. Now let's go to casting out demons, temperament studies, although that never really works, Um, uh, inner healing theories, uh, why are you like this? What do we need? What do we need? Where do we go to the seminar? So if we lay aside the word of God for going back, and I remember this one group, people were waiting to go in, and I was teaching something at this group, and they were saying, well, what, what age are you at? They were doing regression therapy. And one said, well, I'm at, I got out of pre-birth and then into age one. I think I'm about age two now. They're going to regression therapy. And somebody else says, well, I'm up to age eight. But wait a second, what happened to being a new creature in Christ? So the fact is, we, we are born of the word of God. We desire the word of God. We grow by the word of God. And we don't add to it or take away from it until Christ is here himself to tell us more. In the meantime, that's what we have. So that's a good point. Somebody else pointed out Hebrews 5 and 6. Again, it's a warning against apostasy. And at the end it says, but I'm persuaded of better things concerning you. So if you look, and, and I'll get into this in a couple of weeks, the reason that Paul ironically called them fleshly was because of their schisms. Okay? And so there was irony there. The schisms would imply that the gospel from Apollos is somehow giving you better status than the gospel from Paul. But if they're all preaching the same gospel, then there's no reason to choose your favorite preacher. That's, and we'll get into more of that. Here is the other point that I brought in. I know we have limited time. I'm asking the question, what is the Great Commission? So to that end, I read a bunch of material from Acts 1, 1 through 8. And then I've looked at Acts 24. And I read material from Matthew 28. And it may take a while, but let's just keep asking the question. Are we in the church age? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. During the church age, what has God called all disciples to do? Preach Christ. And you will be my witness. You'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Gay, uh, gamma, eta. That's the word for earth. And so if you look at the cosmos, the inhabited world, the whole world, everywhere you can imagine, we're commissioned to preach the gospel. 
and making disciples, as we look at Matthew 28, how can someone be a disciple of Christ if they never heard the gospel? They cannot be. If someone does believe the gospel, they they repent. Baptism, by the way, 1 Corinthians 10, came out of Egypt, buried your own life. Now you're believing the promises of God. And so what I see as the big problem, especially here in America, and that phone call I got just reinforced it, is that in church history, the Great Commission has been seen as a command to subjugate the pagans, build giant organizations and institutions, and force people to act like Christians whether they're ever converted or not. And so the Christianized nations, I don't think the term Christian should be turned into a verb. Let's say you're, you're a hostile sinner like I was, and somebody Christianized me. Would I be closer? I'd be further away. So it's a great blessing to have evil restrained. But the fact is, the number of people who are converted doesn't go up based on how nice things are in the world we live in. So, but search the scriptures. Look at what we call the Great Commissions, Acts 1, 1 through 8, the ending of um, Luke 24, Matthew 28, 16 to 18. Elsewhere, it's mentioned very briefly in John, but yet, if you look at the whole of John, you know, the high priestly prayer, and so on. <clears throat> I don't believe that Christianity is a nicer version of Islam because we entice people rather than kill them if they don't submit. Christianity is called to disciple people who've repented and believe the gospel. And I don't know how it can be denied that Christendom, meaning the Christianized nations, plus all the other nations, is the mission field. And over the years, we've had more people saved out of the Roman Catholic Church that I've met that are hungry for the Word of God. So if Christendom, with some of the right doctrines, is what we want, then why evangelize Roman Catholic Catholicism or Roman Catholics? Why support someone uh, like Mike Gendron, which I'm honored to support? Because if if we we just why have someone like Ed Decker saved out of Mormonism? Mormons look very Christian. They call themselves Christian. They're nice. Some of them. Uh, no, the God's, the Great Commission isn't make the world a better place to live in. It's to preach Christ and disciple those who believe. They're baptized. They're given means of grace. They grow. And as that happens, a lot of different things happen in the world. And God is equipping us to thrive anywhere we may be. And we have eternal life. We may be underground, we may be martyred, 
We may be in a bad situation, a good one, but the Great Commission doesn't change based on the culture. Go ahead. Yeah, you give this passage new meaning. First Peter chapter 2, uh, Therefore, lay aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all filthy language. You can do that all you want. I can clean up my mouth and not have any deceit and hypocrisy and envy. I'll stop all that stuff. It doesn't do me any good. I can be disciplined and do all this stuff and do it perfectly. And that will send me to hell quicker than anything. But if I, if indeed I've tasted that the Lord is gracious, verse 3... If I come to Jesus Christ and say, hey, I can do all that stuff. I'll check all my boxes. I still go to hell at the end of the day. Unless but if cat. I've tasted that the Lord is gracious and I come to him, the stumbling stone, the great offender, and I repent and put my faith in Christ alone in Jesus Christ, now I'm saved. Years ago, I came up to you in Sunday school back at um, TCF days. And I said, wow, the Bible actually makes sense after one of your Sunday schools. I said, I grew up in this church where Christianity makes no sense because it's all about me and my ability to accept Christ. But at the end of the day, I don't know anything about the grace of Christ, the power of God into salvation. Okay, we're running out of time. Here, keep this in mind. Next week, Sunday, we're having Sunday school next week, right? I'm prepared for it. Uh, we want to talk about how do we grow? What is the Great Commission? How do Christians grow in the grace and knowledge of God? What is the message that we're preaching? And are, is, is there judgment coming, or are we going to create a better world post-millennially? The millennium comes, some say, after the Christians rule over the world, or is it possible that judgment happens suddenly and unexpectedly? Keep searching the scripture. We're not going to ever say you can't state your idea and we, we can interact with each other and learn together. And that's what it means. Let's, let's close with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your kindness and goodness. We pray for Pastor Eric as he preaches uh, the word of God to us. And Lord, help us be uh, learners and may we grow and may we be bold in the truth of the gospel as we search the scriptures together. Thank you for the dear uh, saints that come and hunger for the word of God and Lord may more be converted we pray in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Good to see you.